Merit Healthcare Advisors is an investment bank with a unique focus on healthcare providers and their businesses. Transaction Healthcare is a podcast focused on addressing questions and concerns at the intersection of healthcare, transactions, and business. I'm Zach Eisenberg, Vice President at Merit Healthcare Advisors. This is the first of two episodes with founding partner Matt Searles and VP of Development Jay Przanski from Merit. They're joined by Julie Lapata and Herb Mitkiff from Jay Taylor, an accounting, tax, and consulting firm. This episode focuses on a very common question, what's my practice worth? They go deep on valuation multiples, revenue, and profit, as well as how practices can grow in the right way to add value to their potential sale. Let's listen in. So I'm Matt Searles from Merit Healthcare here with Jay Przanski from uh, Merit Healthcare Advisors as well. We are very happy to have Julie LaPlata and Herd Mitkiff from Jay Taylor with us today. And we're going to be talking about different topics in uh, uh, consolidation of uh, healthcare services, specifically in, in, in this context, the specialty services. And I figure we'll, we'll jump right in and ask uh, our friends at Jay Taylor uh, the, the number one question that comes up initially with, with every seller, uh, potentially buyers, and is uh, what is that relationship between uh, you know, multiples? Uh, and, you know, in the context of platform businesses and the context of businesses that might be considered bolt-on. And then uh, following that, maybe we get into actually the, the mechanics of how you all approach that very scientifically, we've noticed at, at, at Jay Taylor. Sure. Well, first of all, Matt, Jay, thanks so much for having us on the show. Uh, this is fun and, and look forward to a, a good conversation. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll kick it off and Julie, if you can, you can add in um, as, as you see fit. And really, you know, I think the first question that everyone has, and, and you mentioned multiple, but it's, you know, what's my business worth and what's my practice going to be worth? Um, and, and, you know, the age-old valuation answer to that as well, it depends. Um, it depends on uh, lots of different facts and circumstances. Um, and, and, you know, the way we approach it um, is, 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 you know, if we're, we're subject to uh, federal guidelines, if there's stark or any kickback involved, you obviously have to value it. Um, you know, any willing buyer, any willing seller, and you kind of have to, to look at it that way. But then really, when you, you kind of get through the, the, you know, the compliance side of it, we'll talk more of the mechanics is, is well, if a, a buyer is coming in and buying a practice entity, um, they're an investor who is not actually practicing medicine. And, and so they are buying into a cash flow stream and they're going to figure out what is that cash flow stream I'm buying into and then we'll discount that back and then and, and see what that comes back to it on a present value basis. And then we'll you know express that as a multiple of EBITDA or multiple of revenue. So, so um, typically you, you hear the, the EBITDA multiple. So really when it comes down to what that multiple should be, it's, well, what cash flow stream I'm buying into. Um, and if it's a, a physician group who is selling to um, a private equity firm or, or giving, you know, selling equity to that, if historically their compensation, they have been paid out all of the profits and they've taken that home for, uh, the owners have taken that home, really embedded in that is compensation for their professional services and compensation for them being an owner. And so one of the first things you do is figure out what that looks like. And then there could be an adjustment to your, your compensation to really carve out Okay, here's how much you really earned as a practicing physician, and here's how much you earned as a an owner. Well, that that owner piece, we need to get that below the line as opposed to paid out in compensation. So we're going to reduce the, you know, your compensation to create that EBITDA stream, and then you will be paid a multiple on that. Um, and and that's a 
you know, a lot of detail there, but that's often a, a very uh, detailed conversation that we go through with groups when we're explaining, you know, how this may work and, and what, what, you know, your, your clients as investors, what they um, are actually buying into and how they may value it. Julie, anything to add to that? Well, yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. And I think um, we in the financial field tend to speak in a lot of acronyms um, that a lot of times um, don't always translate when we're talking with um, potential clients. And so I think it's important to understand when we're talking through EBITDA, what that means. Um, so we're looking at earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And so when, when we're actually approaching that from an operational perspective, we're really just trying to isolate um, the impacts of finance structure or corporation structure um, to really get down to operating cash flows. So EBITDA is a measure of profitability. Um, and so when we are approaching it from um, an accounting perspective or a, a due diligence perspective, we're looking at the revenue stream of the practice um, and what the operating expenses are and really what what is um, an investor buying into? Um, what are they going to have at the end of the day that they can then take um, as their ROI? Um, and so we're looking at adjusting things to get down to um, kind of what we want to look at from the perspective of, I can take this um, earning stream and it's sustainable into the future. Not a one-time kind of non-recurring current period earnings, but what's, what's sustainable into the future um, on a recurring basis. Yeah, and that's that's where you get into looking at contracts and and what what does the revenue stream look like going forward from a, a payer standpoint? Um, will the practice keep its contracts? Will there be new contracts that come in? Um, and then that's we, we kind of talk um, and and we'll get into the difference between a platform acquisition versus an add-on, and and that's where you start really looking at the expense side of things and 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 what what will expenses look like and is it an add-on that's going to have um, certain fixed costs that are going to get folded into a, a larger, you know, a larger entity, and, and they'll be, um, you know, those will be amortized over a larger group. And so, what does that look like? So that's where it really comes down to, you know, back to the it depends. It's well, who's buying and who's selling, and and uh, um, what do those facts and circumstances look like? Sure. So when an investment banker like Jay comes and says, "Hey, just add a million in earnings," you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> If it were only that simple. So uh, <laughs> I joke with people here at the firm when I'm asking something, I'm like, you just push a button for that, don't you? So um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone kind of looks at me and says, sure, that's all it takes. Just push a button. So, well, well and that's a distinction too that we could, you know, we, we don't have to unpack completely, but, you know, you have a, a seller or a buyer who may have an investment banker working for them to, uh, you know, on the sell side to promote that to multiple purchasers, uh, on the buy side to identify clients and, uh, but, you know, as investment bankers, we're not accountants, right? And we're not able to come in uh, and establish a, uh, you know, the quality of earnings study in, in the same manner, you know, frankly, uh, as credibly as you can. So it's, it's, it's always very helpful for us. And so if, if we could, if we could, um, you know, get into that a bit, and Jen, I don't know if you, if I cut you off there, if you wanted to add, ask a question, but just maybe talk a little bit more about Q of E, but Jay, go ahead. Yeah, before we do that, I guess... Being the doc on the phone, everybody on this call is really more finance people and really know the language of accounting well. But I know for me, even docs with very big, you know, whether it's 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars in revenue into a practice or smaller practices, I'll say to them, oh, what's your practice worth? What kind of, you know, 
profits do you have, multiples? And sometimes they'll just cite, oh, well, we bill out $20 million a year. Or, you know, they'll look at what their compensation is. And I think you said it and uh, heard you, you were breaking it down. And you were saying things like, you know, what do they get for their professional services? What comes through for profit of the practice? Sure. But I think, and maybe you could kind of add some color to it, but I think what you were saying in more detail for the, in Doc's language is, you have what you collect, and then you have your expenses. And then you have the take-home of all the partners of the practice. But all of that isn't net income because, as you said, there's a base salary. Sure. And yeah. every doc thinks there's worth something else. But I think the way, and tell me if I have it right, the way a private equity buyer or even a hospital buyer would look at is, if you left, what we'd, we'd have to pay another warm body to come in in your place. So let's say this doctor is taking home $800,000 a year. And if it would, to hire somebody to come in, if he wasn't there, they'd have to pay 400000 So really what becomes saleable, it's an extra 400000 that made up that 800000 Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, and, and it's really, you know, to, to really break it down to, you know, imagine it's a, a single family practice, you know, physician has no mid-level providers and they have their, their, their practice and that's all it is. Um, that, that person, you know, revenue comes in and expenses go out to pay some, you know, some um, supplies, some maybe a nurse and, and, you know, that's about it. And you don't really see practice like that much anymore. Um, but, you know, that doctor whatever, you know, revenue, less collections, less expenses is his take home pay. Um, and then that's, that's it. And, and if, if they're making, if they're seeing, you know, kind of median level patients and taking home sort of a median level income, um, there, there may be zero left for as an, as an owner. And, and, you know, that practice is not worth, you know, anything beyond maybe tables and chairs. And so then you start kind of adding to that now, so now you have, um, let's say that same doctor, they employ a, you know, a couple of mid-level providers um, and they're able to you know, have a profit margin on that. Um, they maybe have some ancillary services where there's a profit margin there. And you know, maybe they're able to, um, they're, they're earning you know, 75th to 90th percentile type, type revenue or type um, compensation, but to replace them and have someone else come in and do the exact same thing, just like you said in your example, you know, they, they may um, be you know, earning, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars more than what they could pay someone else to do it. So then you would kind of add that to it. And so, so if you kind of take that single example, um, you now have a revenue stream created from what they're earning over and above what they have to pay um, someone else to do. Um, they're earning, you know, profit margin on potential mid-levels and they're earning a profit margin on ancillaries. Then, then that becomes a, you know, all that profit becomes what is sellable and, and what, it, you know, an investor would be buying into. Um, so I think you, you got it exactly right. And I think with, with our work and, and, you know, the quality of earnings work that we do, um, for our clients, you know, so much of what we do is we're taking in all of this information and we're trying to, um, trying to tease out all those various components, exactly what that means. And so it's, it's really going in 
and you have a practice that looks like it's either extremely profitable or you see the physicians earning a certain amount of money, well, then we, we go in and we figure out, okay, well, what is professional compensation versus owner's compensation? What are one-time things that should be accounted for? What would this look like on an accrual basis versus a cash basis? And really kind of going in and trying to you know, create what that picture is for an investor as opposed to the way you know, the owners um, and managers maybe have been running the practice. It's a little bit different look at it. Because as Julie pointed out, ultimately, an investor wants to know if I'm going to put this money into my investment, I want to have a pretty good chance of getting it back and earning a return on it. And in order to do that and feel comfortable doing that, you're going to want to understand, you know, kind of the, the full picture of, uh, of what the operations of the entity look like after we've controlled for all these various components. Sure. And so what are you seeing out there now? Um, you know, there's been a lot of consolidation plays. Some of the platforms are a lot more sturdy than others, right? So there's been some that eye surgery, for instance, or ophthalmology, for instance, been around a long time. There's some that are very new, like cardiology. Um, what do you see the, you know, the interplay, I mean, in, in the multiples in those very uh, established uh, role at plays versus the, you know, the more nascent ones that are, that are, uh, you know, fairly recent uh, in terms of both you know, availability and interest of, of buyers. Well, yeah, I was going to say that I think um, Heard and I were looking at a uh, a pitch book article this morning showing transaction volume in the healthcare space in 2021. Those numbers have come out and um, both the deal count and deal value um, have increased substantially over 2020 and are, are breaking records in terms of um, consolidations. And so, like you said, there's a couple of different industries that we're really seeing are hot right now. Um, one of those being telehealth um, and a lot of health IT and integration of those components into traditional practices. So practices that have not traditionally done any type of telehealth visits or remote patient monitoring or anything like that um, are embracing the changes to the Medicare physician fee schedule to reimburse for some of those services um, and expanding that as an option. So those are high profit margin um, services that they can tack on to kind of traditional um, practice structures. Um, but then to your point on, on different specialties, seeing a lot of cardiology, vascular, things like that. Um, a lot of med spas, um, kind of oddly enough, um, and uh, dermatology in general, seeing quite a bit of that come through. Um, some of those previously highly disaggregated markets really kind of rolling up and taking advantage of some of the leverage that you get from being part of a platform as opposed to um, kind of an independent practice. I think a, a lot of the reason we see that um, comes down to payer leverage, right? So um, solo providers in any in any industry aren't really going to, or any specialty aren't really going to get um, kind of the reimbursement rates that they that they could otherwise achieve if they're part of a, of a larger organization. Yeah, we see from our perspective, you know, a uh, couple deals we had last year, cardiovascular, telemed, certainly high multiples, right? Uh, you know, from our perspective, we don't need to get into exactly what those were, but just relatively speaking, you know, higher than those that have been in the business a while. We don't see those as much in some of the established platforms, right? So the only exception being if, if one of the actual platform players wants to sell and they have a $300 million business, yes, those multiples are higher. But, you know, the idea of finding a platform in ophthalmology, I think that uh, that ship might have sailed. Just curious your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I think we're, we're certainly seeing the same thing. Um, and, and you see certain specialties. Um, you mentioned ophthalmology, um, even dermatology, where you know they, they've been doing this for a long time now. And so the, the platforms are you know, established. And, and so as the platforms get established and as they grow, um, then, then really the, the transactions that are out there are going to be more of the add-on variety. And so the, the, you know, it's kind of a maturing um, environment. And so in any maturing environment, the, the multiples are, are, you know, are, are going to go down uh, relative to um, some of the newer areas where, where we're, you know, that are still disaggregated and there's still you know, potentially lots of opportunity there. You're going to see, you know, as the platforms get established and, and people think they find, you know, the, the good, you know, the the uh, the, the good eggs out there, um, you know, they're going to be higher multiples for that. So it's just kind of like any market where it, it's sort of a you know growth versus value and, and you're going to have um, higher multiples potentially for for a lot of the where they think the most opportunity is. And then those multiples you know, tend to decline as the uh, investment environment matures. Um, so we're, we're seeing the same thing. Um, that, that you're seeing. Yeah. And I think, oh, go ahead, Jay. Yeah, I was just going to say, following up on that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But just on that same point, I think what we're talking about is to get the higher multiples, there really t- needs to be more growth or possibility of growth, which is why somebody would pay a higher multiple. So before you were unpacking the value of a practice, you know, how much cash flow they'd have, how good are you guys or women or as a firm in building in pro forma earnings to help a practice get value? Yeah, so I think a lot of the things that we see when we're doing kind of sell-side Q of E or sell-side diligence and helping identify those pro forma adjustments. And I guess what we mean by that is taking your historical EBITDA um, and adjusting that um, up or down based on you know activities that might not have existed for the full time frame in the trailing twelve month period we're analyzing. Um, so some of the common uh, performa adjustments that we're seeing right now is um, provider ramp up. So there's been a lot of you know turnover in the healthcare space and a lot of um, staffing issues and and providers moving around. So there might be um, a provider was only there for half of the year. Um, so we're going to do a performa adjustment on, on an as-if scenario. What if they had been there for the full year? What would the margin on that provider have looked like? Um, other things, new service lines, like I mentioned, um, we've had a couple that um, are spinning up a new ancillary. And they have maybe one month where it's actually happened in their TTM period. Um, and we're going to we want the seller to get credit for that. That's work they'd put into developing that service line. And we want to make sure that, you know, they're getting credit for that sale and, and credit um, for that value that they're bringing to the transaction. Um, other ones are, um, you know, potentially adding an ASC or a new office location. Um, so expanding upon their internal platform um, geographically. Um those are some of the main ones that we see in addition to kind of, um, you know, a COVID adjustment, which I know that's a, a key topic these days, depending on who you talk to and um, how much you adjust or don't adjust for um, peaks and valleys during, you know, this COVID um, and how it has impacted, you know, the past 18 to 24 months um, of revenues and expenses. Yeah, and I think where, where we spend a lot of time, uh, at least in, in my practice, is, is on the revenue side and really analyzing um, managed care contracts. And, and so who, who are their, their major payers? 
And when's the last time they touched a contract? Are they looking, you know, do they have contracts that have been around, you know, 15 years and no one's ever looked at them? Um, do they, uh, you know, or, you know, have they recently renegotiated? Um, so is there a potential opportunity there? Um, you certainly want to look at, you know, what contracts are going to hold post-transaction and in which, you know, is there a potential opportunity, you know, based upon that? So certainly lots of opportunity there. And I think that's where you can make, you know, pro forma adjustments. Um, and then the other is is really are you you know are you collecting what you're supposed to be collecting so you may have a a fee schedule that says x but no one's ever looked at anything and and you're you're not you know you're not either getting from the payer or you don't have good patient um, collection practices so is there potential efficiencies that you can think of and that that are there from a, a collection standpoint and then you know conversely on the other side is um, well how are you doing billing collections and, and who are you paying to do that um, are you at market levels for that? Are you doing it internally? Are you outsourcing it? And, and you know that's a often an expense area, um, along with maybe you know supplies, where you know there could be opportunities there, depending on how tightly they've managed those costs over the years. Sure. And one one question you had mentioned uh, PitchBook, uh, they you know sent out their data, and yes, multiples are increasing probably has a natural uh, effect on folks that are out there looking at these businesses, um, you know, likely to, you know, increase upward pressure. Does that same dynamic exist? So you're on the buy side, for instance, and a buyer is trying to be aggressive. Do you have a, a spectrum of ad backs that you can go through where, um, you know, it may, it may be a little bit more up to the client uh, subjectively to accept, or is that is that pathway pretty narrow where there are things that you'd accept regardless of how hot the market is or how hot the buyer is to buy it? Um, just curious your thoughts there. I mean, I, I think the biggest add back is what we've talked about in, in terms of compensation. Um, and, and, and so it's um, how, how do you adjust compensation in order to pull out, you know, and, and you often hear it termed the haircut. So there, there may be a haircut to compensation in order to create that revenue stream um, there is, um, you know, it's not, it's not like there is, here is the one single value in order to value what, what you should earn as a physician, um, versus what you should earn as an owner. And so there could be, you know, leeway within that. And, and sometimes it comes down to, um, from a, a, a physician standpoint, it's like, well, you, you're going to, you either earn this amount over, you know, the next five years, or you're going to, you know, get paid today for it. And, and what, what would you, what would you rather have? Um, and you also see, you know, within that dynamic kind of going off on a, a, a segue a little bit, but, you know, depending on if, if you have a group of older physicians and younger physicians, they may not always agree on exactly what that should look like. And, and so um, if there is if there's an area to have discussions and the area to really understand the goals of the group and understand the goals of the sellers um, and then also understand the goals of the buyers, you can you, know, you can get creative and you can try to try to thread that needle, so to speak. Yeah, no, makes sense. Makes sense, right? I think there are there are uh, you know buyers within fair market value ranges that may take a different view of a certain ad back, right? All right, and so I think what we find is is uh, a lot of times you guys are very objective in your approach to that. It just may be up to the a buyer whether or not they're willing to. It becomes a business point. Are they willing to look at it, and how does that play into the fair market valuation? Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of our main goals. Um, in advising clients and, and, you know, and helping, you know, groups like you and, and it's, it's really, we, we want to be a facilitator and we want people to make, um, you know, objective decisions. Um, it's, it can be an emotional um, 
process for people who live and breathe and work in, in what they've built. And we want to let's lower the temperature. Let's take the emotion out of it as much as we can so people can you know, look up and make a good, sound, objective decision. And, and really, at the end of the transaction, all parties feel um, you know, it's a win-win for, for everyone. And, and no one feels like they, they got snookered or no one feels um, like they gave too much or gave too little because all of that's going to be there to a little bit because we're all human beings and there's an emotional component to all this. But how can we provide good, objective data and really be that facilitator to help guide people through a process um, to make them feel you know, good about what they're doing and also obviously to make sure they're you know, compliant with, uh, with all the things they need to be compliant with. And how I've seen some buyers handle that to, to thread that line with sellers to, you know, give credit to things that are, that might be emotional or to make the buyer or make the seller feel like, you know, they've really taken all this work um, and they're giving value for that um, is to accept the pro forma ad back, but maybe apply a, a slightly lower multiple to that revenue stream. So you're still giving credit for it, just maybe not at the same level as you are the more, um, you know, the less uncertain revenue stream from the traditional services of the practice. Yeah. One thing that I've seen become controversial, and I think it's uh, a lot of emotion around it, is I hear a lot of physicians say, oh, I have so much money in my accounts receivable. Mm -hmm. And I know for yeah. they feel like they should get value for it. You know, clearly the buyer is reluctant to look at it. And I know there's a lot of work gets put in by just about every buyer or purchaser or partner into doing, you know, taking a cash accounting to accrual accounting, which would account for that. So how should practices look at that all, you know, their accounts receivable and why businesses try to put it on an accrual basis? Yeah, I think the cash to accrual conversion is um, hands down the most important part of the quality of earnings analysis that we do. Um, a lot of healthcare practices continue to record on a cash basis. It's just easier. And if you haven't been part um, of a larger platform before, um, it just might not be in the line of sight for the accounting firm to do accrual accounting. And it is difficult in healthcare to estimate and, and actually apply on a gap basis accrual accounting. So the first thing that we do in any analysis is to convert the revenue from cash to accrual. So instead of accounting for the revenue when the cash was received, we look at the date the service was performed and try to shift dollars back to that period. It's so important in healthcare just because, you know, the person that's receiving the service isn't always the person that's paying for it, right? Um, and there might be uncertainty about who's paying for it and how much each person is paying for. And the time lag between the date the service is performed and when payment is received can be 30, 45 days or more. If it's a worker comp or a lien type case, that might be three or four years past the date of service. So we're always dealing with dynamics about that. So part of it is um, making sure that we understand the revenue cycle and we, we perform several different types of analyses to look at that on a visual basis as well as um, a mathematical basis just to understand how that's working out. But then to kind of unpack that to a provider, 
you know, there are several instances where we're doing this analysis and we're able to put information into the practice's hands to say, hey, you're not collecting the patient portion. Um, you're doing a really good job of collecting the insurance portion, um, but your collection cycle is, is lagging. There's You're leaving dollars out there because you're not following up with patients or doing a great job of collecting copays. If you could go and, and work on this for the next three months, implement some new policies, get a collections team in place, you know, work on improving the operations of your revenue cycle, um, you could capture that value in the form of a pro forma and maybe, you know, get additional value on your purchase price if you were to make this change. So those are the th types of things that we look at. Um, if I'm on buy side, <laughs> to your point, Jay, I'm not going to value old AR uh, at the same rate that I'm valuing new AR. Um, I'm going to look at the collectability of that and I'm, and I'm going to mentally write some of that off for sure. Yeah, and I think this is a this is always an area that that is can be sensitive. Um, and, and I think I think through Julie, just the discussions we have um, around working capital and, and how AR you know plays into working capital and and just what you know what what value is is really staying you know what needs to stay in the business in order to, to have it run appropriately and, and and having some of those discussions with owners. And they've never really thought about you know that piece of it. Well, there's so, there's some value that's in the in the entity that's you know driven by AR, but it's really driven by your need for for cash and to, to pay you know to pay people while you're waiting for collections because we have that collections lag that we talked about, and, and and they're wondering why they can't get paid on this amount when we're sort of holding it back, so to speak. Um, and, and I think that's just back to the role of a facilitator is to really help explain and walk through the driver of value and how you know how this kind of stays in the business and, and what, what what how value is being derived. And I'm not really explaining it clearly here, um, but it is a um, it, it can be a, a sensitive discussion at times when when you say, well, I thought it was worth X, but now you're telling me I have this working capital piece that is going to be, you know, a, a true up, you know, in 90 days. And, and, and so I may owe money back or I may this. And so that that can be a um, a, a sensitive discussion that we try to handle handle gently and again back it up with uh, with facts and data and, and, and try to get everyone there. And that wraps up another episode of Transaction Healthcare. Hit the subscribe button to get notified when we release new episodes. And if you are someone interested in learning more about these topics, visit us at meritadvisory.com or send us an email at contactus at meritadvisory.com.